said to him, I do not say it to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Well, uh, Don Henley, as you might know, was one of the founding members of the rock band The Eagles. And in the early 90s, he wrote a song on a solo album that you can still hear played on some classic rock radio stations here at the beach and some variety stations. And the name of the song is called The Heart of the Matter. The Heart of the Matter. You might know it. Here's a few lyrics from it. There are people in your life who've come and gone. They let you down and they hurt your pride. Better put it all behind you, life goes on. You keep carrying that anger, it'll eat you inside. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter. But I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Even if, even if you don't love me anymore. Now, uh, Don Henley is getting at something there, isn't he? About the nature of forgiveness. Because you know that when you choose not to forgive, what passes into your heart? Bitterness and coldness and deadness. And so Henley is getting at something about our need to forgive others. But it's not just Don Henley who's talking about in our culture. You can Google uh, articles about this that have been written from the standpoint of philosophy in the New York Times. You can read about it in history in terms of how apartheid began to be healed in South Africa through forgiveness and this, this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, you, can, you can see it in many of the films that we enjoy watching today. Right? So forgiveness, forgiving one another, is something that is spoken about often in our culture. But what is Christian forgiveness? What's distinctive about the way in which Jesus calls us to forgive? What's distinctive about the way God forgives us and therefore empowers us to forgive? That's what we're going to look at today from Matthew chapter 18. And I think uh, this parable is quite familiar, and I think you could probably even tell me the, the central point of this parable in one sentence. I bet you could. And this is what you would say. Because you've been forgiven, therefore you can forgive others. Because God has forgiven you, therefore you should forgive others, right? Now, isn't that statement simple 
to say, but is it easy to do in practice? Right? It's, it's difficult. It's, this is a radical message. It's profound. And it gets to the heart of who we really are. So I want to look at Jesus' notion of forgiveness in this parable uh, in two major points this morning. Two central ideas. The first one is this. Only if you embrace God's forgiveness can you truly forgive others. Only if you embrace God's forgiveness can you truly forgive others. That's, that's point number one, this big point number one. Then secondly, we're going to see forgiveness or the lack thereof exposes the true condition of your heart. Forgiveness or the lack thereof exposes the true condition of your heart. Those are our two uh, big ideas this morning. Let's look at the first. Only if you embrace God's forgiveness can you truly forgive others. And this idea comes from the first half of our parable, from verses 21 through 27. And we look at these verses, we're going to discover an initial three important things about forgiveness. And the first one we're going to learn is this, about the nature of true forgiveness. The nature of true forgiveness. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? What a great question. You know why? Because you have the same question, right? How many times do I have to forgive that spouse or that so-called best friend or that child who hurts me in the same exact way over and over again? How many times do I need to forgive them? It's a great question. Now, when Peter asks the question and then suggests an answer of seven times, he actually is demonstrating he learned something of, about being with Jesus over almost three years. Because the standard Jewish practice for forgiving someone else was three times. So Peter, the great guy he is, and been with Jesus for almost three years, says, I'll double it and add one. Right? But of course, whenever Jesus is asked a question, what does he do? He goes deeper and further to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? Look at his answer in uh, verse 22, how Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or it could be translated 70 times seven. Okay. Now, when Jesus says 77 times, he's not saying forgive 77 times, but on the 78th offense, stop. Right? This is metaphor. This is hyperbole. It means forgive and forgive and keep forgiving as often as it takes, as many times as it takes. Always forgive. Uh, N.T. Wright captures the idea succinctly here when he writes this. If you're still counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you're really not forgiving them at all, but simply postponing revenge. Right? That's a very helpful statement. Okay, so now, if you're like me, this is what I'm thinking. Okay, Jesus, I hear you saying, forgive and forgive and forgive, but I don't want to do that. My heart does not want to do that. I get tired of that person hurting me in the same way. You probably have someone in your life who's hurt you significantly in the same way again and again. I don't want to forgive. Do you? Or, there are probably a... There are many of you here, at least a few of you in here, who have been really heinously sinned against, say by a father or a former friend. How can Jesus ask me to forgive that kind of person? 
Or even think about your, your, family, your church family and Mark's death for giving the shooter. Really? How can we do that? Well, the answer is found in the next part of this parable, is that we need power to be able to forgive like this. And so as we move on in this parable, we're going to discover, secondly, we've, we've seen the nature of true forgiveness. Now, secondly, let's see the nature of God's forgiveness. How does God forgive us? From verses 23 through 27. Now, in this parable, there's a couple large, there's one large number, 10,000 talents uh, of silver, of gold that's owed. Now, what, how big is that sum in the first century terms? So 10,000 is the largest uh, number in the Greek language. Talents are the largest denomination of currency in the Roman world. A person, an average person in the first century would earn two talents in their entire lifetime. So how big is this debt? Well, in modern terms, it would be billions and billions of dollars that this, ser this first servant owed the king. Okay? Now, to make matters worse, this debt of this magnitude would have actually compromised the king's ability to rule his kingdom in, this, in the first century world. You see, economics were different back then in that Caesar funded the emperor, empire from his own private treasury and then returned into the treasury from tax revenue with interest. That's how the empire was funded. So a debt this large would actually have compromised the king's ability to rule here. What's the point? Jesus isn't telling us some fun parable. He's telling us a theological truth about how God forgives us. Here's the point. You and I have an infinite sin debt to God that we could never pay. But at unbelievable cost to himself, he paid the debt for you. Think about this, right? We are people made in the image of God, made to live out God's beauty and in connection with him and to worship him. And what do we do? We shook our fist at him and said, I don't want that. I want my own way. I want to worship whatever I want to worship. I want to pursue whatever I want to pursue. Now, a perfectly beautiful, holy God, what is that? That's an affront. It's an infinite affront to him, to his kingship. That's an infinite sin debt we, we have related to God. But what does he do? In his great love and mercy towards us, he gives up the most precious treasured possession he has, his son Jesus Christ, who dies to pay that sin debt, the infinite debt, and rise again to declare us free. So God's forgiveness is unbounded, freeing us from this infinite sin debt by giving us Jesus. Now, um, if you're not a Christian here this morning, or maybe if you're, if, you, if you're a good religious person this morning, you've got to hear this, all right? This is the place where the gospel, and, uh, the gospel and religion is so very different. Because religion, American religion in our culture says this. You have a debt of sin that you need to pay to God. Pay it yourself. By doing good works and coming to church here, you can begin to pay it off. Religion says that, all right? The gospel is so very different, isn't it? The gospel says, yes, you have a sin debt, and it's infinite. You can't pay it. But guess what? 
God loved you so much that Jesus Christ paid it for you in full and rose again to declare you free. That's the gospel, okay? It's really important we get that because we can get so confused in our culture about what religion teaches. That's not the gospel. So then the bottom line then is if God has forgiven us like that, then that ought to empower us to be able to forgive others who have sinned against us. So the question then is if that's where the power source for forgiveness comes from, then how do we practically go about forgiving someone in daily life? Uh, even if it's a little snub or a big deal sort of sin. Well, that's where we, we uh, can move now to uh, kind of zone in on verse 27. And we can three, number three here, we've, we've seen uh, what's true forgiveness, what's God's forgiveness. Now let's look at the steps to forgiveness, the practical steps to forgiveness by, by zooming into verse 27. I do want to acknowledge that I've gotten uh, these uh, few ideas in this part of the sermon from Tim Keller's really excellent sermon on this passage. I commend it to you. Uh, so it's not original to me, but it's, I've gleaned it from him. But look at verse 27, talking about the king. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. From this verse, we can glean uh, three practical steps to this is how you've got to go about forgiving. Number one, have compassion. Number two, let go of your demand for justice. Number three, absorb the debt personally. Let's think about all, each of those steps carefully. Step one, what's the first thing that needs to happen in my heart? I need to have compassion. So the first thing you see the king does here is he, he forgave by taking pity on him. Now, I think that's an unhelpful translation because in, in modern English, when you hear take pity on someone, you think, oh, that pitiful wretch, right? It, it really misses the import of the phrase here. The original has a more a literal translation of his heart went out to this guy, all right? Having compassion, meaning what happens when your heart goes out to someone? You emphasize and recognize that this person is just like you are. We're both sinners in need of grace, Right? We both need God's compassion and forgiveness. When, uh, when someone hurts you and sins against you, the first thing that I want to do is I want to emphasize how different that person is from me. Right? How, how dare they do that? I would never do that. And I want you to think about it like this. I want you to picture in your mind, uh, well, okay, have you ever been to the amusement park and they have those caricature artists that are hanging around. You can sit down for $15 and have your caricature done, or you've seen it in the Sunday newspaper. What's a caricature? Well, it's usually someone's face, and the artist picks out one feature of the person's face that's maybe significant, and but blows it way out of proportion, right? So they take a nose and they make it humongous, or they take the ears and make them elephant ears. That's a caricature. Well, when, when someone hurts you or sins against you, that's the first thing your heart wants to do wants to emphasize how different that person is from you, how much they've hurt you, that they're not like you. You would never do that, would you? And here's a good example, right? Think about uh, someone who lies to you. When you discover them in their lie, I think, give me a break. Wicked liar. What a deceiver. But now when I think about the last time I lied... <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I was kind of pushed into a corner. 
It was only a white lie. Right? We, <laughs> the way which we judge the other person is so different than the way we judge our, ourselves. And so the first step to forgiving anyone who's hurt you is to, is to say, they are in the same playing field as me. They need grace just as much as I do. A scholar named Miroslav Volf writes this, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. So step one of practical for forgiveness, even for this week when someone hurts you, is have your heart go out to the other, have compassion. Step two then is to let go of your demand for justice. Let go of your demand for justice. The servant let the, let, or the, the, sorry, the king let the servant go free. He let him go. Instead of demanding justice, he showed mercy. Now all of us have this deep inner sense of a desire for justice. You desire justice when you see wrongdoing. And that's a great and beautiful thing because that's one way in which we can see that we're made in the image of God. Our God is a God of justice. He's going to put all things to rights on the day when Jesus returns, bringing heaven to earth. He's going to bring justice in the perfect sense. And so we image him in this inner sense we have for justice. But here's the problem. When your good and beautiful desire for justice becomes a demand for justice, that's a problem. When you say, I don't care, I want to ha see that guy get what's coming to him, the desire became a demand. And what happens in that moment is that you put yourself in, the in God's shoes. Because only God can demand justice. And only God is going to bring perfect justice one day. He, he will. So letting go of your demand for justice is trusting that God will sort it all out for you in the end so you don't have to. You can have a posture of forgiveness even towards the most difficult of offenses committed against you. You can, you can desire justice in that, but you can, you can leave it up to God to sort it all out in your benefit uh, and for his, his God's uh, glory one day. Now, let me make a caveat, and I think it's important to make at this point, is, I, you know, I, well, I, I don't want you to hear me saying this. Uh, some of you here may have been criminally sinned against in a heinous way at some point in your life. You should pursue justice. God is on the side of the victim, right? He is there to protect the victim and to bring justice against the perpetrator. So this is not a call to not pursue justice. Rather, it's to pursue it in a certain way. To pursue it in a way which is leaving it up to God ultimately and to have a posture of saying, God can give me the forgiveness I need even as this person is, uh, meets justice for this crime. All right, so it's a careful balance here. So the first step, right, is to have your heart go out. The second step is not to demand justice. But the third step from verse 27 is to absorb the debt personally. The king lets this guy go. So who pays this debt? The king pays the debt. He absorbs it personally. And this is true for us, right? If God forgives us this infinite sin debt, frees us from it, then when someone sins against you, there's this existential, relational, emotional, spiritual debt that you experience between you and the other person or people. Someone's got to pay it. Either you're going to make them pay it, 
or you're going to, to absorb it and pay it down yourself. Let's uh, think of this first in uh, concrete terms about how this works. Let me give you an illustration. <laughs> so uh, when I was 10 years old, as any great 10-year-old boy, I loved uh, ninja stuff. And so I was practicing my ninja kicks in the full-length mirror in our bathroom, on the back of the door of the bathroom. Now, you might predict what's going to happen. Uh, so I did an awesome kick and kicked the actual mirror with my foot, and it split right in half. And I mean, thankfully, I was, I was okay and didn't fall off the door. Uh, but I went sheepishly to my dad and said, Dad, you don't believe what, I ha what happened. You know, would you forgive me? I didn't do it on purpose. And he was really gracious. He said, that's okay. I'm glad, glad you're, you're safe. However, there's still a debt to be paid. Someone had to pay for the mirror. Either my dad could cover it, or I could spend six months paying for it from my allowance, right? The, the debt had to be paid. So thankfully, my dad paid and replaced the mirror. It wasn't a big deal. But you get the point in concrete terms that when uh, an offense is committed against you, someone sins against you, there is a relational debt that is incurred. Someone's got to pay it. You have a choice in that moment. You can say, God has forgiven me, therefore I have the internal resources to absorb that debt. Or you can say that person's going to pay. And you know the way we do it? Here are some examples of the way that, that I do some of these, you do some of these. Uh, you hold on to bitterness. You uh, are vengeful in your spirit towards them. You have a cold shoulder. You pretend they don't even exist. You do the silent treatment. Uh, you rejoice when something else goes wrong in their life. Those are all ways that you make the other person pay. Isn't that right? And guess what? All of those ways make you feel better for a, a while. And then what, come, what happens in your heart? Bitterness comes in, coldness and deadness. It's like Don Henley said, keep carrying that anger, it's going to eat you inside. Well, in contrast to making the other pay in one of those ways, what's the gospel way? To absorb the debt yourself, knowing that you've been forgiven. And when you do this, doesn't forgiveness hurt? It's hard to forgive. It hurts to forgive. It's actually a form of suffering. But when we forgive, we follow after the way of our Savior Jesus, who absorbed the infinite sin debt for us in himself, suffered for us, died, and then rose again to give us freedom. So forgiveness really does feel like some sort of existential death when you do it. But like Jesus, following after Jesus, what happens? The way of death leads to resurrection life at the other end. Forgiveness leads to a new freedom of life for you. So we've spent a whole lot of time in the first half of the passage uh, dealing with embracing God's forgiveness enables you to really forgive someone else. And in a, a somewhat briefer fashion, we're going to consider, consider the second part uh, of this passage and this main idea. Forgiveness or the lack thereof exposes the true condition of your heart. Forgiveness or the lack thereof exposes the true condition of your heart. From verses 28 through 35. And here also we're going to discover three more things about forgiveness. So the first, let's think about the consequences of unforgiveness. 
the consequences of unforgiveness. When you look at the second servant, the second servant owes how much? He owes 100 denarii. You know how much that is in modern, modern terms? It's the equivalent of three to four months wages for an average laborer, which today we could say is maybe like $14,000, $15,000. So it's billions of billions of dollars versus $14,000, right? But the first servant who is forgiven like that can't forgive. He demands this guy to pay up and he can't, so he throws him in debtor's prison. And now look what happens when the king hears of it. Look at verse 32 through 34. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. He's judged for this, right? But now look at how Jesus um, applies it to us in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from the heart. Now, we need to kind of hear that. And it should be like, wait a minute here. That's really difficult. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying there are eternal consequences if you don't forgive, if you don't practice mercy. If your life is marked by unforgiveness, it will ultimately land you in hell. That's how strong Jesus' warning is here. Now, as soon as I mention the word hell, we get a little nervous. And some of you want to, um, I suspect, chew me out at this point. But let me, let me just hang with me here for a moment. Let me, let me suggest something. We've already talked about that when you choose not to forgive, a bitterness pervades your heart a coldness, a deadness. And all of us know someone whose life is characterized by unforgiveness and is like that. What is it like for you to be around that person? It's miserable, and we could even say it's hellish. What Jesus is saying is that someone whose life is marked by this level of bitterness and unforgiveness is already on their way to hell. It already, this life already has marks of hell shot through it if that is the principle that characterizes your life. And one day God will enact his perfect justice against that sort of person by confirming and assigning them to eternal hell in the life to come. Now that's really sobering. And we need to balance that sobering warning with the gospel. Because we, on one hand, we know that the message of the gospel is God forgives us freely and fully in Jesus. And when we embrace Jesus by faith and look to his death and resurrection, we are forgiven and completely forgiven. And that can never be taken away. Even though, even if we struggle here and there with forgiveness through this life, right, that can't be taken away. Once we possess Jesus' forgiveness, we, we uh, possess it eternally. So what's going on here? Why this strict warning? Well, because we need to discern, second point here about unforgiveness, is we need to understand the heart behind unforgiveness. There's a very different quality of the heart that's going on here that, that separates a person who loves the gospel and loves Jesus and is forgiven and someone who just says that in words, but his life is marked by bitterness in the heart. And the key to observing this heart of unforgiveness is looking at verse 28. Look at verse 28. 
But when that same servant, so that this is the first servant who's been forgiven infinitely, um, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now that action tells us something about what was in his heart to begin with, doesn't it? That servant was just forgiven infinitely by the king. But that didn't pierce his heart. We would say that God's forgiveness did not pierce and change his heart and make him anew internally. Otherwise, his action towards this other guy would have been very different. Here's the bottom line for you. If you refuse to forgive others persistently, that is a sign that you have never really opened your heart to God's forgiveness in the first place. You may be a very religious person here this morning. You may give generously to this church. You may know a lot about the Bible and about Jesus. You may even pass a test on justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone with 100%. But if you persistently cannot forgive others or that person who's unbelievably sinned against you, and there's bitterness just reigning in your heart, you need to check your heart today. There might be a, no better way to know if you have a relationship with God based on grace than whether you can forgive others. I want to say that again. It's really important. There might be no better test that you have a relationship with God based on grace than if you can forgive others. So what's it going to take for us to forgive like that? What's it going to take for the gospel to sink roots deep down into your heart and change you from the heart? Well, third and finally, we need a change of heart, don't we? We need a change of heart. Look at the very end of this passage in this command. If you do not forgive your brother from the heart, it's, it's a call to forgive from the heart. Well, I can't do that unless my heart has been changed. So here's the key. We learned before about this idea of compassion, having your heart go out to another. Well, did you know that the favorite expression about the emotional life of Jesus in the Gospels is this, that his heart went out to people in their sin and their suffering and in their transgression. Jesus' heart went out to people. That's what you got to see. You need to see Jesus' heart going out to you on the cross as he dies for your sin and rises to give you freedom. Jesus' heart goes out to you, changes your heart, so you can have this new posture and orientation to forgiveness. Jesus pays the debt you could never pay, changing your heart, therefore giving you this new power to forgive. Well, in conclusion, let me, uh, let me close with, uh, with this story uh, to kind of bring everything back together. Uh, probably at least some of you have heard of Corrie ten Boon, who lived during World War II. She was a Dutch Christian. She and her sister Betsy hid uh, Jews in, uh, in the Netherlands from the Nazis. And when they were discovered, Corey and her sister Betsy were taken to a concentration camp where they were, uh, you know, had unbelievable, terrible experience, and Betsy eventually died in this concentration camp. Uh, after the war, Corey survived and began to pu speak publicly about what her experiences and specifically talked about forgiveness. What does it look like to forgive? So in her book, The Hiding Place, she writes this. 
It was a church, in a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, bowing, saying, How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think that, as you say, Jesus has washed away my sin too. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I couldn't. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. I then took his hand, and the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through to my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this man that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on for our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the healing of the world hinges, but on Christ's. When Jesus tells us to love and forgive our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you that you have forgiven us an unbelievable debt, a debt we could never pay. Thank you that your most treasured possession, Jesus, died for our sin, but rose again to free us, to give us new life. May it uh, help us to know that this morning in our heart of hearts. Change our hearts. Enable us to forgive. If there are people this week that we need to forgive, move us by your mercy to do so, even as we know how you've forgiven us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.